Blog Talk Radio. Yakuza! Yakuza! Yakuza Kick Radio! 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 This is the bulldozer, Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio, Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us. Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah, Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday night. This is a brotherhood. And we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio. And we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity, Toby Fine, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your gym, fella. This is Greg Excellent, Spirited Dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, you're probably watching porn and you have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Man. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you couldn't. Now look at that jockey, homie. Fuck that. Black D. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. Try that again. Oh, it is Wednesday, August 26, 2015. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J-Cat Morris. I, you know, I got some WWE stuff to talk about, which is rare, but um, I got some of that to talk about and a few other things. But before all that, I'd like to welcome to the show, welcome back to the show, the product, David Starr. Yo. Hey, what's, what's going on, man? Not much, dude. I, I, I was questioning how that is like the longest indie music intro ever, like, waiting, the guy waiting behind the curtain, like, I gotta wait for my music to drop, hold on, hold on, hold on, and then he pulls <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I like a big grand intro, so, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I, I've been looking forward, and I've, I've messaged you about this, I know that, so, I've been looking forward to coming on this show for so long, because, uh, me and Shane Strickland listen to it all the time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, like, I want to be a part of your show today. Like, you talk about what you want to talk about, 
and then I just want right. to I want to hear it and kind of chime in because dude I'm I'm really pumped for this. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you know I definitely want to go through the the general interview as as a uh, you know usual, and then if you want to hang oh, for sure. the other stuff, by all means. Um, yeah, definitely. When do. did you, when did you get into wrestling as a kid and stuff? Oh, I was five years old. WrestleMania 12, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Uh, and I guess I knew I had to be kind of something for me, considering like I was a five-year-old kid who uh, paid attention to an hour-long wrestling match. So, uh, And after that, it was all, was all old tapes from RF Video and Franklin Mills. I used to get all the old tapes, so I grew up on with my favorite being superstar Billy Graham. And uh, <laughs> I've just loved it ever since. Nice. So, um, you know, when did you actually decide that you wanted to train? I know you had an amateur background in wrestling, right? Yeah, I wrestled in uh, college and everything. Uh, I decided I wanted to train uh, towards the end of my college wrestling career. It was coming to an end, and I was actually sitting on my computer questioning what I was going to do with my life um, because uh, wrestling from – I've been wrestling since I was seven years old, uh, so it had taken up a – you know, 14, 15 years of me, and uh, I was, man, I was, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself, because it was kind of my whole life, and then I always loved pro wrestling, uh, the summer before that, CM Punk cut that pipe bomb promo, and that, like, re-inspired me to become, you know, Super Mark 9000, and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just decided to email a bunch of places, Uh I emailed CZW, I emailed Chikara, I emailed a place called Backbreakers in Scranton, and I emailed uh, the Wild Swan Training Center. And Samu on Hawaii got back to me, and there, that's where I went. Um, you know, was it what you expected as far as wrestling training? You know, you had the amateur background. Obviously, there's a big jump, you know, from one to the other. But, um, you know, what was the transition like? Uh, I I was a pretty quick learner, uh, which I think it might have just been because I just watched it so much. Like that could have helped mm-hmm. me. Um, I was emulate, and I, you know, I'd done the wrestling at my own at my house and stuff like that with all my buddies, and we'd all done that before. So uh, I guess I was just used to falling, and I was kind of just used to the movement. So it was a good transition for me. I've seen a lot of guys who wrestled in college, though struggle to pick up with stuff in pro wrestling when they go training. So I don't necessarily think that's like something anyone who's got an MMA or amateur wrestling background just picks up and they can just do stuff. But uh, it Mm -hmm. came to me quick. Uh, I trained for about a month before my first match, and I was the fastest graduate in the history of the World's Run Training Center. Nice. Um, So how long was it before you actually had your first wrestling match after training? It was um, a month. About a month later, I, I trained about 10 times. Uh, and then, you know, for our first match, it was pretty good. Uh, I've watched it now, and I'm like, wow, I sucked. <laughs> but, um, you know, for our first match, it went really well. Um, now, you you know, you've been around a lot of companies, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of, you know, different training methods and stuff like that. How do you compare, you know, the way you were trained as opposed to maybe the way people are being trained now or – yeah, depending on the I mean, I think, I think, I don't know, I'm not like some old school vet who can talk about, oh, back in my day, but, <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I guess 
it's different because I, you know, I trained at the Wild Samoans place, which is very, very traditional. Like, uh, the fact that I got in the ring after a month was, like, unheard of, which means Sam just had to, like, really trust me at that point. So, um, which I don't know why he did, but thank thank God he did, and I am forever grateful for him. Uh, he, But I guess I've seen it just, like, I had to start when I came in. First, I had to do, like, a huge kind of, like, tryout thing. So, basically, he just, they just kind of beat the hell out of me to see if I'd come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I had to go through that. Uh, when I was training, and again, like, I'm not this old vet or anything. I was in wrestling for, like, right. three and a half years. But I guess just I was brought up more traditional than some guys are on these other schools that I've been to or trained at. Um I mean, like, I got beat up in training all the time. I was a small – I was also, because it's a big man's school, I was the smallest dude there, so I had to take all the big bumps at training for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. So they beat me up pretty good, like, with hit, with strikes, too. Like, they would just really punch me in the face. Uh, I, I had to just take a beating, so I would learn to be open and good to do anything. And I haven't really seen that anywhere else. So – like and it's not like a bad thing for them. It's just part of their way to bring you in, and that's how they used to do it. So, hell, you got to do what you got to do. All right. So then, um, you know, you got wrestling for a while. How did you actually get into CZW? Had that whole um, Shane Strickland got me in. Uh, basically, I I started branching out. Uh, I went on a road trip to Michigan with Shane Strickland for the first time I ever. Uh, met him. We went out to Michigan and we ended up wrestling at this terrible place. Uh, it had like a tarp ring. Uh, it was just, it was just awful. Um, but I ended up wrestling him. Uh, we became good friends because called this whole spotty match, and then the top rope broke in the very first spot. So we had to scrap it and call a whole new match on the fly. Uh, and then ever since then we became best friends. He was feuding with Rich Swan at the time uh, in CZW. Right and. So I met Swan. Swan saw some of my stuff. Shane obviously knew my stuff. He had told DJ to bring me in. Uh, and I also was friends with Adam Cole. So And he said something to DJ. And and then, like, I started training there. Uh, people liked me, I guess. And then uh, DJ thought I was good enough to be on the shows. And that's pretty much how CZW happened. Right. Now, it wasn't long before you got in there, before the Juicy product started up. Um, how did that all, you know, that ball get rolling? You actually formed that team. DJ invented us. <laughs> um, he, we wrestled each other that, at Tangled Web uh, two years ago and had a pretty good match. And DJ had literally said to us, "Hey, go out there. Whoever gets more over is gonna keep getting booked." but I only have a spot for one. And uh, so we both went out there and had the best match. Uh, we both got a pretty good response. Um, and then DJ said, congrats, you're both coming back and you're going to be a tag team. So uh, we weren't really cool with it at first, but then uh, we kind of had a talk and had this kind of us against the world, fuck everybody else kind of attitude, and it seemed to work. And other people liked it, and then they booked us to win tag belts and stuff. 
Yeah. So, you know, it was something that was, uh, you know, made up within CZW, DJ's idea or whatever, but between the two of you, what was it that made it, you guys cohesive enough to take that show, like, on the road, so to speak? Uh, it was probably uh, just our – we had the same attitude. Like, uh, there were people in New England that didn't like JT because they thought he was cocky, and there was a lot of people that didn't like me because they thought I was cocky. Um, when in reality, we were just being ourselves, and we were just being our normal selves, but, like, we weren't that long into it. Evan JT's been wrestling longer than I have, but we weren't that far into our careers where we had any right to feel good about ourselves because a lot of wrestlers try to keep everybody down for whatever it's because of their own, you know, self-esteem issues, which is why people refuse to do jobs to people. And, you know, it's this big ego-centric play. So no one wants anybody who's young to like what they're doing for whatever reason, uh, or at least the people that are, have this bitter feeling. So people were giving us heat, and then we both had this attitude like, you know, fuck this, man, let's just be the best. Uh, and that's kind of where our attitudes came together, uh, and we just decided to do everything we could to get over. Um, now, you guys went all over the place. You wrestled um, you know, Amazing Red. Um, you wrestled uh, Young Bucks. You wrestled all sorts of, you know, teams. Who was your favorite team to actually, you know, go up against? Uh, probably, I mean, the box match was awesome. Like, it was a really big, because we made it a big deal. Like, we made a rivalry out of us versus the Bucks. Um, like, it wasn't like some, I mean, it didn't have enough time in it, you know, in order for it to be one of those ones that everyone really talks about. But, uh, like, we created that conversation about how we should wrestle the Bucks uh, on purpose and by design. Um, mm -hmm. And that match lived up to it. I mean, it was awesome because uh, those guys are just the best, like, clearly. They don't need my endorsement for that, but, you know, they are uh, both in and out of the ring because they're, like, also super good guys, like, really good family guys and everything. Uh, they don't yeah. they don't even swear. <laughs> um, so uh, the bus match was great, but I'd say my favorite opponent was LI4K. Nice. Um, favorite awesome. So, you know, amongst the time of you guys working and everything, um, you worked a lot of different teams, and you, you got caught up in a lot of that criticism of the spot wrestling, you know, and people, a lot of people dislike it and kind of downgrade it and call it not wrestling. What's your opinion on that whole criticism? <laughs> what spot wrestling versus what? Um, when you watch good wrestling, you don't know if you're watching a spot. Uh, so it should feel organic. Uh and I mean, all these people. There's such a there's such a ridiculous thing because I don't think many people know what it is to work or know what it is to work a spot or anything like that. Like people just kind of think, oh, they're just doing a sequence they talked about. But like people back in the day called spots too. It's not like they're that's just kind of how it happens. And there's this big thing like. A lot of people think that if you throw a lot of strikes or if you do a lot of flips, you're all of a sudden a spot monkey when they don't know, like, the work rate that goes into it. Like, I – like, working the Bucks, and everyone – people call them spot monkeys or someone jokingly called them vanilla spot monkeys, right, or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. And just having working with them, they we didn't call all the things that happened in the match. We just know the spots that they have. 
or we just be like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I do this, and sometimes this will happen, and just kind of work to it. There's a lot of work involved. I work Johnny Gargano, and Johnny Gargano, people say the same thing, that he's just a spot monkey. We worked into every bit of that match. Like, it's there's so much stuff that you would think there are spots called and they're not. Like, I worked Eddie Edwards, and he's the king of working on the fly. His matches are incredible. So he doesn't, he's not a spot guy, but some people might think that because he worked for Ring of Honor, and they think that Ring mm-hmm. of Honor was a spot company. No, man. If the people are enjoying what they're watching, then it's good wrestling. You know by the, the smell test or whatever, what's good wrestling, what's bad wrestling. You can tell who can work the crowd and who can actually work as opposed to people who can just do moves. Like, right. You know that if they can do promos, if they make an emotional connection to their crowd. Fucking Matt Tremont is probably the most charismatic dude, or Nick Gage. Matt Tremont or Nick Gage are like the two people I've never seen have control over a crowd the way they do. Or obviously, right. you know, like Randy Orton and shit like that. But like, but those two on the indies, I've never seen anybody else just completely be able to control a crowd like that. And guess what? They call spots. <laughs> like, it's yeah. how it happens. So, I guess... My thing is, just enjoy it, and if you like it, you don't have to justify it. Like, right. I, I think people like to say Bret Hart was a wrestler. He did, like, Bret Hart started, was one of the first people to consistently call spots. It all, it all came from Macho Man, who used to write down matches and plan them months ahead of time, his big ones. So, I mean, mm-hmm. come on, man. Like, I just, like, that's what I think to people who say that, like, just enjoy what you're watching, and if you like it, there's nothing wrong with liking it. Right. So then, you know, going forward, um, you guys had, you know, a crazy run with the Juicy Product. You guys hit all angles of the indie titles all over the place, um, just selling merch like a motherfucker. Um, JT comes to the point where he's going to exit CZW. What was your your side of what you saw there and what, what went on? Well, you know, there was a whole bunch of, like, backstage drama with that. Um, but JT decided he was going to leave. Uh, he wasn't fired. He decided he was going to leave. And then uh, I actually – and DJ had actually had a signed contract and stuff. That that was actually legit to essentially guarantee your dates or – like, it wasn't obviously like a full-blown wrestling contract. It was more of like, hey, guarantee us your – like, we have first right of your date if we want it within 30 days, like some shit like that. So Mm -hmm. I was technically obliged to finish out the calendar year with CZW. And I told JT, all right, well, I'm going to leave. Like, I'm not going to be around if you're not going to be there because I think it's kind of bullshit, which I did. I was really upset about the way JT quit, but he was kind of forced to quit. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I was, so I said I was going to leave after I was done. Like, I guaranteed DJ those, those dates for November and December, but uh, I was going to leave after that. So I decided that I was going to leave, and then in those uh, in that period of time, uh, I just kind of learned more things about people, and I didn't necessarily like what was happening. So then I felt that I needed to find some places to be on my own, and CZW was my biggest platform. At the time to be uh, by myself in singles, so I came back. Uh, but like things were fine, uh, and then kind of when JT and Kim started dating is when we kind of 
uh, fell apart in our friendship. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, breaking up and everything like that, I mean, like I said, you're you're on fire. I mean, especially, you know, CCW-wise, they pretty much based the most of last year on you guys running with the tag titles. And, um, you know, for that to just be pulled out from under you, that's, you know, a pretty big drop in everything that you had built. So, you know, what was your mindset going into that? Well, I mean, like, I was definitely not into the idea of breaking up. Uh, that was not my call at all. Uh, I think, like, JT's never really explained it to me why he just systematically uh, removed himself from Juicy Product. Uh, he's never mm-hmm. actually explained it to me. Uh, and I guess part of this whole thing, like, because, you know, we're, like, not friends at all, uh, for real. <laughs> uh, he, part of it comes from that like it just seemed like it was a design thing to do to try and because again like I do I legit like shoot I live on my money I make in wrestling and I do okay uh probably Mm -hmm. just about as good as anybody my age who doesn't have a college degree um like he, it was it was very difficult because I was trying to find myself again because I created someone who I really wasn't like if you in terms of who I was as a wrestler and got so used to doing it one way because uh, if you watch my stuff before JT and I started tagging I was kind of this like uh, <laughs> really really big Japanese wrestling fan who mm-hmm. just focused on being kind of like strong strikes and all that so my wrestling style had changed completely because JT is a phenomenal wrestler. So within the tag team, I wanted me to, myself to stand out. So I went super entertainment side and focused all my, my energy on character stuff. Um, right. So my wrestling kind of took a back seat. So now I was thrown back out there without being warned or anything into the single scene where you have to be able to wrestle well. Otherwise, it'll just be a gimmick for the rest of your life. So I had to kind of rediscover my old self uh, on like just on the fly, it was really difficult at first. Um, also, just like mentally, because I felt like my best friend was kind of fucking me over. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that was really diff- that was really difficult for a while. Yeah. Now you know you, you go from that to you know obviously you know when you get a uh, you know so to speak married together in a tag team and you're going everywhere, you're knowing everywhere together it's pretty much inevitable that you're going to be kind of locked into the same thing, only now feuding everywhere you were before together. So, you know, how has that been cooperatively and, you know, how's that going? I mean, it's definitely been uh, difficult because, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously we've worked each other other places. Uh, We're professional enough where we can put on a match, but we don't necessarily like it. Uh, Like I don't prefer to work with JT. Like, uh, but if you book it, I'll I'll be there and we'll put on a fucking great match. Um, yeah. But there's going to be some struggles there. That's just how it is. Like I'm not going to insult anybody's intelligence and say like you know we never even see each other and blah, blah, blah. like we don't outside of the times we're booked on the same show because we don't want to be around each other. Um, right. Like so every single time you hear JT talking about David Starr and like he's being a thousand percent real. Well. I don't know if he's any percent real, but that's how that is. And any time 
I talk about JT Dunn like I'm being real because that's all I know how to do and or how to be. And I mean, as far as far as like how is it like to cooperate? I mean, we have good matches. We we have mm-hmm. good matches against each other because he's really good. And I mean, I think I'm good enough to put on good matches. Like I don't want to put myself over too hard because I'm obviously very confident, but. Uh, JT's really good, and I've and we've proven that we have good matches. That's the best I can say, and I don't blame anybody for wanting to have that match because it's good. Right um, now, you know, because it did come so suddenly, was there initially some kind of plan to make this a long-term thing, or did you guys know that, you know, even prior to any kind of you know heat or anything coming up, that you guys were going to run, you know, somewhat of a course and then go on your separate ways, or was there somewhat of a long-term plan with the Juicy product? Uh, when we got booked as a tag team, we were only supposed to tag for, like, two months, actually. Um, I don't know if you remember this. You might, because you're, like, a, a a big fan of the show, of CZW. Well, I don't know if you're a fan of CZW, but you watch CZW. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a CZW um, fan. <laughs> I'm just so, a John Zandig uh, guy. <laughs> There you go. We'll talk. About, I definitely want to talk about that when we're done the interview yeah. segment. I definitely want to talk about that. Absolutely. Um, no so, problem. Um, so, I'm thinking, thinking, I just lost myself. Um, oh, we were only supposed to be a tag team for like two months because we tagged for the first time at Down with the Sickness. It was our first ever tag team match together. We wrestled for Loco and Azrael and Bambio. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. It was, they, were, they put us through a great match. They carried us through an awesome match for our first time as a team. And we kind of gelled. Um, then I think in – yeah, and then in October, we wrestled uh, Shane Hollister and Caleb Conley. And uh, originally, JT and I were supposed to break up in November and then wrestle each other at Cage of Death. Um but then JT couldn't make it to the November show, so we couldn't have had our breakup. And then Ophidian and Amasis both got hurt. So they needed someone to wrestle Blackout. So they decided to give us a shot at Blackout. Uh, so mm. that's when they decided we were going to stay together. And then they didn't know what they were going to do with us after that. We wrestled them. We wrestled OI4K randomly in January. They put us through a really good match in which, you know, JT got tombstone through the table, and that kind of got us some respect or whatever. Then we went to that program with, with them, so we knew we were there. And then Jake and Dave actually told DJ to put us over for the titles uh, because we weren't supposed to win anything at all the whole time. Uh, and they put it, they were like, put them over for the belts. Like, they they should have it right now. So DJ decided to do it. And then we're like, whoa. And, we went, and then the next week we won the FIT titles. <laughs> so things just kind of worked out. Yeah, um, and uh, I think you ended up losing the belts at that um, the down with the sickness last year. It was a three way ladder match. Crazy. We crazy won. Match. We won that match. We lost them. We oh, lost won them two weeks later. Two weeks later. That's right. Because I remember something about that match, and I was thinking if you were going to switch the titles, why not on that big match? If you're going to do it two weeks later, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because they um, we did that because the original plan was us to lose that ladder match. Um, mm-hmm. we were supposed to lose that ladder match and then they booked the show in Dayton two weeks later 
Uh, right. Like they book when I, whenever they booked that, they were like, no, you know what? Let's give it to like 4K in Dayton. Uh, yeah. They wanted to do it in their hometown. We won them in JT's hometown, so that was kind of a like almost like a payback or a paying it forward type thing. Um, they just decided that randomly, and actually, because of that, we got stripped for like legit. We got stripped of our NYWC tag team titles because we had accepted their titles and said, you know, obviously guaranteed their dates to the best of our ability. And then we had guaranteed it to them, and then we got pulled from it because CZW wanted us to go to there. So we actually lost that booking for a couple months because of changing the finish. Huh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you were there during the whole uh, situation with the uh, Chris Dickinson and Tim and all that stuff. What was your thoughts on the situation? Chris Dickinson and Tim, oh, and at Beyond? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she's a wrestler, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? what's the biggest difference between that? I guess, the difference between that, because actually someone made this comparison, what's the difference between that and the Bucks kicking the kid? Because everyone thought the Bucks <laughs> big thing was, was awesome for the most part. And then uh, everyone seemed to universally dislike the Dickinson and Kim thing. I think it was just a bad climate, like, as socially, because the there's, like, a big domestic abuse issue uh, going on uh, that's being discussed. So I think that that is just bad timing. Um, it looked brutal, but Chris, as a professional wrestler, did the same thing he would do to a woman that he would do to a man, because why wouldn't he? You're in there as a professional wrestler. You're not supposed to take it light. I was actually taught that, too, because I trained with some girls, and said, don't right. take it light on the girls, so why would they? Because they are they have to do the same shit we do, right? So, I don't know, man. Like, it got a lot of attention. Uh, yeah, Kim yeah. Kim was a little was a little bump, bumped up, but I think even if that was a guy, they would have been a little messed up too. So, uh, it happens. I, I think it's just pro wrestling. Like, eh. And they're still running. Yeah. They're still running good, a good thing up there, like with Chris and Kim, like, so they're definitely capitalizing on it. Yeah. I, I continue to ask the question because, I mean, it just was such a big, you know, overblown thing. I don't have a problem with it. I didn't have a problem with it. There were some people that felt very strong about it. Um, uh, Sozio came on the show and was completely irate about it. And a lot of people Oh, were, he, but, hates, he hates intergender wrestling. Yeah, I just, he you know, it. I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen a lot worse, and, um, you know, like you said, she's a wrestler. I mean, she took a leg drop on um, the guardrail from JT like yes, a week earlier, and no one said anything. <laughs> she busted her face open. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I, that looked worse to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I didn't have a problem with that either. I mean, she is a wrestler. She decided to do these things. I mean, just by the logic of wrestling, Chris Dickinson is built up as an unstoppable monster. No guy in the company had touched him. He was un- unbeatable. And now he's across the ring from a girl. Do you expect it to be, you know, like a Mike right. Quackenbush match? I-, I don't understand what you want. It was so, great. Uh, that whole that whole thing was awesome, especially because Kim, like, in that building, in all, like, there's no denying, Kim is definitely one of the most over people in that building. 
Um, right. I don't know if you've ever been to a Beyond show, but like or seen no, one. I'd but, like to, but oh man, well, it's, it's just a like far. a feeling like no other. That building is something special. Um, they've struck lightning with that, and it is it is great, and it looks great on camera. But Kim is like the most over person possibly, like arguably Biff or uh, JT or. Um, no, those are pretty much the most the top guys. Like, and then Dickinson, really. So, she was undefeated in that building, and like she beat a lot of really good wrestlers. Um, mm-hmm. So it was built. It was awesome. Like they just had the match, a street fight, and it was great. And then it got to that attention, obviously, because of the brutality. But yeah, dude, like I'm, we're on the same page. I thought it was ridiculous that everyone got all made a fuss of it. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite matches? If you had to put out like a three match compilation, you know, DVD or whatever, just, just something to, you know, promote what you do and, you know, try to get booked wherever, whatever the case is, three matches. Just for me, just my matches. Um, I mean, whatever you, you feel showcases, whether it be a tag match or singles or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, uh, I guess, man, that match the Bucks was really good. Um, I think I would probably pick singles matches, though. Um, the one I do send out a lot is I actually wrestled, I wrestled Chris Dickinson, uh, I think last, like last September or last November or something, at Wrestle Jam. I send that out. I really like that match I have with Dickinson. Um, let's see. I guess another one I send out is the Gargano match I had at Beyond. Uh, and then probably... The other, there'd be three others I would that would be tied for that third match, and I don't know who to pick. It'd be the match I had with JT at Beyond, uh, the, the match I had with Eddie Edwards at SWA, or the match I had with Dave Christ uh, at Rockstar, the first one I had with him. I, I don't know one of those matches, I but those are, I those are really good. I always had a really uh, good time in those. And then I guess like any Shane Strickland match or any match I had with my trainer or one of my trainers, Tommy Slade. What was the most surreal moment you've had since you've been a wrestler? Surreal moment? Oh, shit. Okay. Whether it be a venue you you were working in or, you know, a guy you, you know, you were working or whatever. Um, man, like, I guess there, okay, there's two, uh, they both happen to be guys, uh, well, one's, they're both, I guess, well, they involve Rhode Island or whatever. But, so, my very first match against, like, kind of a name, like, I guess the, this, for whatever reason, is the first thing came to my head. Uh, first time I wrestled, like, a name or whatever, whatever you define that as. To me, this person was a name or is a name. I wrestled Mike Mondo for a uh, place, XWA, and I'd been wrestling mm-hmm. for, I don't know, a very short period of time. But I'd done, I'd done a little bit. I'd, I'd been, I'd been okay here and there. And, uh, I'm booked against Mike Mondo. And when I see him, uh, I said, Hey, how are you doing? Like I go to start talking about the match. And then he tells me that he was really excited to wrestle when he saw wrestle me, when he saw that we were booked against each other. And that got me really like, I was like, wow, Mike Mondo said that. Like I thought I took that as a really big compliment. Um, Mm. and, uh, that meant, that meant a lot to me. Uh, and then he gave me a lot of – he asked my opinion on the match, like, going into it, like, my part when I would have just listened to Mike Mond, like, whatever you want to do, Mike, like, obviously. Um, but 
he so he was just like super respectful to me and didn't need to be. Um, that that was always really cool. And then in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans, I met Mike Bennett for the first time, and Mike Bennett came up to me and said that he was a fan of my work, and I was like really taken aback because I'm a huge Mike Bennett fan, and uh, and then I just started talking to him, and now we're friends, and he's still someone who I would consider like a mentor to me. So that, uh, so that was probably the most surreal thing. Like I was like, wow, I'm like kind of a wrestler now. <laughs> um, you were able to, you know, go a lot of places and accomplish a lot of things, you know, especially with the juicy product. And now, you know, you're, you're doing the solo thing. Cause I mean, you didn't have that huge of a singles run before you really got, you know, clicked up with juicy product, right? No, I, I, not on the mainstream independent scene, not even close. Uh, right. I'd had a couple of matches and beyond and, couple matches in CZW, but that's about it, like, as far as things people would actually see. So now that you're singles, what are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to work? You know, free matches, like, that type of thing. I mean, there's, like, there's obviously, there's a million different matches I would love to have against certain guys, but, like, I kind of I just leave, like, I'm, I'm deciding right now, for whatever reason, I'm always going to answer this the same way, which is, like, I, there's too many to name, and I would probably love all of them. Like, uh, so anyone anyone can think of is probably a match I'd want to have. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to wrestle like everybody. <laughs> Always, I was just talking to Strickland before uh, I called in about that. How just trying to hustle bookings and just get booked at as many different places as I possibly can. Um, but I can't really focus. I try not to, as far as goals and what I want to achieve or aspire to do or whatever, I always, uh, this is something I've, I kind of kept as my mantra, I guess, the way to keep me sane. Um, I never try to focus my goals on, like, where, what companies I want to work for or where I want to go in that regard because I can't control someone else's decision to actually pull the trigger and bring me in. But what I can do is I can make myself as good as I possibly can be to become undeniable to those places. So I turn mm-hmm. the control and the responsibility onto myself. So all I can do is just, I just go make my goal to better myself every day. Like I want to wake up every morning better than I was when I went to sleep. So that's pretty much my goal. Right. So, you know, you don't have dream matches, so to speak, but is there, like, a, a one guy that, like, you know, to be across the ring from that person would be, you know, the ultimate? I mean, you know, whether it would be someone you were watching as a kid that's still doing it or, well, you know, I guess I'm, something I, to be I guess, obtained as far as that. Okay, I'm going to go with, quote, within reason. Like, if I say within reason, somebody that it's, actually even a very, very small chance actually possible would probably be mm-hmm. Nakamura. Just okay. Nakamura. Um mm-hmm. man, that dude is just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say, you know, obviously the smallest of small chances. So, cause that's you know, he still wrestles, I'm obviously wrestling. Uh they do Ring of Honor stuff and who knows if I'll ever being ring of honor, but you know, you never like I'll put that chance still there. So sure, but that's 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 what I'd say. Nakamura, I think he's he, dude, he's so good. Yeah. 
you know, with the huge influx of NXT really, you know, taking over, and, you know, WWE pretty much created their own indie with NXT. You know, it went from somewhat of a minor league system to realistically WWE's own indie, and they're, you know, running it as such and hugely successful. Is that something, you know, that you look as a possibility or, or something that you're trying to hit? I, I mean, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> right. like, like, again, like, I, I would be really happy to see that, and I love to watch NXT, uh, and I love – I have a couple friends that are down there that I still talk to. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, of course, that's, of course that's the – I guess that's the place you really want to be at the end of the day, at, at least if you've never been there. Uh, you, you just have the kind of the – the dream and vision of grandeur or whatever. Uh, so I guess, yeah, but again, I try to just, all I try to do is focus on what I can do, uh, which is make, make as much money as I possibly can on the Indies and make my brand as big as I possibly can make it, uh, through myself. All right. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know exactly. You know what part of the uh, Zandig thing did you want to talk about? The Zandig guy. Dude, I just want to. I just want to hear your like. I hear it all the time, but like now I actually have you to interact with. So sure. I just want to hear like because you're like obviously the shirts made. You're a John Zandig guy. What? Yeah. As a fan, as an original CZW fan, what? What like what do you see as the issues as far as how you see CZW now? Like, because there are some pos like obviously I joke around with you when I say you're not a fan or whatever because like I said the hate right, right. thing. Great right, reference right. to that by the way. I think that was last week or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, obviously I know you're a fan, so you do say positive sure. things about CZW, but obviously everyone remembers the negative things, and most of the time the negative things make me laugh when I <laughs> listen to your show, but. Uh, I just I'm want to know. Blunt. Yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, I'm kind of the same way. I've tried to, I've had to censor myself a lot over the past like year or so, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely blunt uh, when it comes yeah. to person to person. I just want to hear your like, what is the difference between being a John Zanda guy and someone who is a DJ Hyde guy? Um, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> pause on that answer but um <laughs> well i mean the thing is is when i first started going to czw the aura overall was 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 crazy and you know there's there's some things that dj can can't do anything about because the freshness of what czw was putting out is a huge part of what made czw what it was um when i first started going to czw 2001 um february 2001 uh crushing the competition uh, Trent and Johnny told me about it. I had watched um, Trent and Johnny and Burke and Blade just kill it in a ladder match in Tom's River. And um, in front of, like, maybe 50 people, like kids, old people, like, at a family show. <laughs> and they were doing stuff that, like, the Hardys and Edge and Christian weren't touching on TV. And I was, you know, blown away. Like, Blade's doing a, just swantons out of the ring onto Johnny on a ladder on the outside, like, Right. <laughs> you know, in front of 50 people. So yeah, they were doing, right. you know, just crazy stuff. And I'm talking to them after the show. I'm like, dude, you like this. You got to go to CZW. And I'm like, I, I, well, what is that? You know, and they're like, well, you know, 
you know, Tajiri's super crazy. They're going to be down there. You know, they're doing a show, you know, in February, such and such. So, but, uh, you know, I'll give it a chance. So we went down there. It got crazy lost because it's in, it was in Sewell. And there's, like, three things in the town and cornfields and, and uh, it, you know, it, it was ridiculous. We drove around the town for way longer than we needed. To. But um, so we, we end up, we, we get there. You know, the show starts out. The jury's super crazy in the ring. And they're tearing it up. They do a little sequence, and then they have, you know, Justice Payne is wrestling Tajiri, so he comes out, and Mondo comes out because uh, he's doing something with Super Crazy. So they, you know, they break it up or whatever, but they had that, that really cool sequence that um, Tajiri and Super Crazy were doing on ECW. Yeah. So right away, you're okay. just hooked. I mean, you're just like, holy shit, you know, this is like the shit on TV. Now you're starting to see these new guys you've never seen before because now here, here the next match, I don't know if it was the next match, but Within the next couple of matches, you got the SAT that I've never seen before. Doing crazy oh, yeah, yeah, stuff. They were great to wrestle. Um, Rick Blade, Nick Mondo, and um, and Super Crazy in a three-way ladder match on the card. Um, just crazy. And then uh, they get to their, their hardcore stuff, which I, I never saw anything remotely close to this. There's a bunch of guys in the match. I never heard of a single one of them. Lobo, Wife Beater. None of them. I, Madman Pondo. I didn't know anything about any of these guys. So at some point they get to the spot where they have like the um, like the soccer rest chair because it was an indoor soccer arena. Okay. So so they have like the you know lifeguard stand chair thing over there, and above it's hanging the Iron Man title, which they you know later turned into the new horror title and then scrapped because why would that mean anything? Um, <laughs> you know. It's hung up above there. They they stack tables up, tables, wrapped in barbed wire, and they light them on fire. Wife Beater holds Lobo above his head. Lobo grabs the title, and Wife Beater throws him. Lobo's holding the title, so that's how he wins the belt. They can't get him out of this barbed wire. It's burning. I, I mean, seeing that live initially, was you felt like you were at a crime scene. You felt like yeah. someone was going to run and be like, you guys are going too far. Shut this shit down. Like I never saw anything like that. So, in that aspect, it's it's something that DJ can't control because everything ca- has been done before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's absolutely. It, you can you can do two hundred light tubes. That's been done before. You can do no rope barbed wire. It's been done before. You know the the first no rope barbed wire that um that Zandig did over there. You know it, it was crazy when he did the um well at least in the arena when he did um deja vu. And it was yeah. Van Dig and Lobo. And, you know, I mean, that that was crazy, crazy shit. And um, you can't just redo it and have people go as, as crazy. Um, so there was a lot of just aura stuff that, you know, being there as it developed. And Zandig was a legit badass. I mean, he had that, that vibe. He knew this was not a guy to play with. He wasn't um, – DJ Hyde was never taken seriously. When DJ Hyde was a student there, um, even Gage would just take complete liberties with him and just hit him on top of his head with a chair and leave him bleeding on the floor and just go, you know, and just go brawl with another guy and just leave him laying there. Like, DJ never had that respect within CZW as far as, you know, pre-ownership. So, and you're talking about from a fan, from a fan standpoint. Well, from a fan standpoint, and again, I mean, you could see the way Gage wrestles 
you know, Gary to King Waller, and you could see the way that he wrestled DJ Hyde when he was a student. <laughs> you know, that's 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 fair. Yeah. So one guy he's super super safe with, and the other guy hits directly on top of his head and splits his head from one side to the other with a chair. I mean, it <laughs> and shows pretty much no remorse. So, which I know that's part of Gage's character and everything, but. You know, I, I mean, you could definitely see the difference between a guy that Gage has a little bit of respect for, and it, at least at the time, it sure didn't seem like he did for him. Um, uh, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're uh, you're stiffer with the guys you're really good friends with and that you love, as opposed to the guys you don't really know or you like. Um, that's like I'm saying. Like I know that when I wrestle. Shane Strickland, I know that it doesn't matter if I accidentally stiff him because we're still going to be cool afterwards. Uh, whereas if I'm wrestling somebody I, I've never wrestled before, like, okay, for instance, I was acquaintances with Gargano, but I didn't want to fucking kill him. So yeah. I'm a lot more careful there than I am when I wrestle Strickland or when I wrestle anybody that I've wrestled a million times or that I'm really good friends with. No, I get it. I get the stiff wrestling and you know all of that stuff. But either way, DJ never had the respect, especially from the fans. Um, they okay. never looked at him as like, "Look at this badass dude." They were just like, "This this fat goofball in the trash bag uniform." Like, I don't want to see this guy. Um, well, then what do you think? Also, what do you think DJ could do to change that? Like, what from a fan's perspective do you think would get that switch to change to turn over? Because DJ is the DJ is the owner, and that's right. not cha- that's not changing. You know, uh, so right. obviously he wants to put out the best CDW product he possibly can for the paying customer. So, what do right. you think, as the paying customer, DJ could do to make that different? Well, DJ, I mean, DJ will never be John Zandig. That's that's always been a very obvious thing. So he can't be do you the think top that he's trying to be? badass. Uh, yes and no. I mean, he tries to be somewhat of the, uh, you know, look out, DJ's coming type of, and no one's worried about that. No one's looking at him like a, you know, an enforcer. I, I think, you know, and I told DJ this a while ago too, when he was doing the, the continual heel owner, you know, screw people over. I don't care what you fucking fans want. You know, I mean, you could only tell people that are paying for your product that you hate them so many times before they might not show up. You know, you're the owner and then you're not Vince McMahon. That's what he's like. Well, I learned it from Vince. Stop learning from someone who's a billionaire. (laughs) Yeah. Stop learning from a billionaire. I just got muted. Dude, I can't hear you. Hello? 